was it about the coming of age story that that, that excited you, made you want to? to well, I think with the coming of age story, you have implicitly a movement of character and a kind of a progression. But um, what what do I? I think we are just returning now to this kind of idea of youth, um, a, a tangible end to that. And, oh, I'm not sure. What is it? I'm just trying to think now of coming-of-age novels that I love. I'm terrible. When anyone asks me what books or writers I like, my mind literally goes blank. It's like a curtain comes down. Is um, Pip... I mean, Pip's an interesting ca- name to have in it. And, and with great di- expectations. Yeah, and um, it may, there's a bit of... And there's a little bit of... Uh, there's some Dickens, I think, in Jude too, sort of David Copperfieldy, maybe, sort of uh, love triangle. It's also a character who has a... A Dickensian mouth, like an oyster left out oh, in the yeah, sun. Yeah, um, if I remember correctly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but oh, I don't know. I just I do think I think coming of age novels are really important, and they're often you, it, the term is often used to kind of put things down. Mm. But I think it's hugely important to every single adult. This this sense of kind of growing up, and it doesn't have to be either kind of lame and trite or heroin fueled. there can be an interesting middle ground which tackles the real kind of issues and difficulties of, of that period of time. I think what was fascinating about that moment but it's, it's true of all, all, all parts of your life is you're constantly slightly you're constantly slightly constantly imagining yourself into the next stage I like the, um, again without wishing to, to give away anything at the end but an image of youth and childhood as being an island but one that you, you have to leave a sort of almost sort of Milton, Miltonic idea of, of leaving a, a sort of paradisal mm. or what we think is a paradisal state and was there a bit of that for you that you're that as a, this is a first novel was that it's a, almost it is and it works completely of itself but but the characters and I, and I have the feeling of you working through something to get to, to some next perhaps but when when does the next stage come because mm-hmm. I think there is a sense throughout the book. I'm kind of fascinated with the idea of bluffing and posturing because I think <laughs> it does like characterise a lot of um, our post-school life and probably our school life as well. I mean, when you become a doctor and you're in your first year, in what way do you feel mm. capable? Of perf- you have to you perform and you wear your you, your your costume and you. You have to give an illusion of knowledge and experience, but I have friends who are... Do- I mean, it's bizarre. I have friends now who are doctors and teachers, and these are people who always seemed so so unimaginably ahead of, of me. So to know that they're my age and I maybe could have done that is just... It's, it's incredible. Um, so I think, you know, when people become parents and they, they just they play act until they know how to do it, and that... It's interesting, and I don't think that that finishes in your mid-twenties. I think it continues and continues. And I probably, when you're old, you think, OK, well, I'm supposed to be 70 now, so I better kind of pretend to be old, or kind of be... Co- not pretend to be old, but you kind of... You you must play the role that fits the stage of your life that you're theoretically at. Is there a bit of that for, for, for you as a, as a novelist? I mean, this is, this is... Oh, I'm sure I feel like a fraud all of the time. <laughs> um... Uh, when I try and sit down and attempt to write fiction, I immediately feel 
uh, enormously ridiculous at the very thought. And I remember going through a long period. In fact, right, trying to write once in, in Paris, where I, I, it's a wonderful picture of Camus it's and a long coat. Is it? I was going to say, is that? But is that? Does do things like that help, or is that? Is novel writing? And this is because this is why I don't write novels. But that the. Do you have to imagine yourself into a sort of particular um, version of yourself to, 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 to write? I don't think so, and I okay. don't really... I mean, they're, they're curious to me, the questions which ask about, you know, writing routine and things like that, mm. like someone might do a kind of a, a spiritual dance before they sit down. I mean, I had a very prosaic job as a receptionist for um, a two-man property company, and with very little responsibility, I just had to open the door and make coffee. And I, and I wrote while I was there. So I, well, there was nothing grand and mm. elevated. I wasn't in a tiny Parisian garret, you know, <laughs> eating a baguette. And I w- just, just was at my computer mm. writing. So you, just to, can we do the, um, the, the hard graft of, of your... How did it, it... Was there a particular typical writing day... Um, I would def- I definitely, definitely, definitely was most focused when I f- first I first left university because it was kind of a race against time because it was either going to work or it wasn't going to work and it was kind of write this and justify your existence because otherwise you've you've graduated with a good degree and are being a pretend receptionist. So I either had to work or I had to go and get a proper job. Um, so build a career. Build a career. Right. I mean, uh, there's nothing wrong with being a receptionist at all, but I wasn't being one. I wasn't doing it. Like, I wasn't... It wasn't going to lead, yeah. <laughs> but no, I just wasn't... There was... I, I literally was just opening the door, so I was kind of a one-time-a-day porter. I don't know, it wasn't... That definitely wasn't a, a job job. So, um, but it was, so it was a decision to enable you to, to be able to write? It, yeah, yeah, entirely. Um, and I've always been... I think it's so much a part of one's identity, what one does. Um, and so, I don't know, I think it was very important to me to be... I don't know what I'm talking about, actually. Let me just rewind. Let's no, no, as you... Uh, you know, we can... um, I'm not sure. I so that I was very concerted then because I had direct office hours that were uniquely really to be used for writing whereas now I have to mix writing with the other writing that I do professionally for money. Uh, how do you balance the two? Is it, is, does I it really enjoy it. The okay. only balance problem is the fact that freelance work even though you may be actually working and billing for three days of a month there is so much kind of um, bullshit that surrounds it I mean you have to like getting paid is a real Mm. issue if you don't know when your next job is you really have to kind of be looking around for one Um, it does it does take up a lot more than three days at the same time I very much enjoy it I do um, kind of Sloganeering, I suppose, mm-hmm. for some French advertising houses. Um, in fr- so I'm assuming in French. No, in English oh, actually. Wow. So okay. basically, a lot of luxury beauty companies um, they use French ad houses because it has the kind of the Parisian allure. So we'll discuss things in French, and then I will. I normally work with a French 
copywriter and an artistic director and we will write kind of taglines okay. body copy for print and, and then film scripts for the stuff so it's, it's really fun I really enjoy it because projects are normally quite short so it's a kind of a burst of a burst of work and a burst of ideas and it's it's an intriguing world a lot of the work I do is often slightly unethical cigarettes <laughs> and kind of skin whitening creams well not quite but so I, I and I really like being in an office, and I also very much enjoy someone at the end of a day saying, "You did really good work." That to me is good. Does no one does that to you as a novelist. No one says congratulations. I remember interviewing uh, yes uh, Nadim Aslander, who said one of the problems about writing a novel that took him I think ten years was about, he spent about six years where he would finish the day, and if you're an actor. Um, you, you get, get around applause, applause I know. and then there's complete silence. You don't. You may have had a, the best day you've ever had, or the worst day you've ever had, um, and you sort of can't tell. Was well. Here's an idea. Why don't we start marketing um, canned applause canned for applause. for writers? Standing ovation. <laughs> quite good. I mean, you could combine it. You could get it on a widescreen TV, and it is just people just standing <laughs> up, and pointing at you, clapping. Metaphor. I think we're really good. Metaphor. Can it at least be an app. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Let's do it. Exactly. We need someone to do that whistling. And you could get ones that like were all girls or all guys or all, I mean you could really tailor it to what people who people want to be yeah. applauded by. Could you have booing the teachers? Could you have booing them as well? Oh no, I think you should as well because that could be good for kind of motivation. <laughs> Is there any way that that kind of writing, you're saying it's sort of slogany, um, uh, you mentioned Sadie Smith's aphoristic style, did it, did it feed in? I mean, there, there weren't sort of one lines, but there's a, sort of, there is a pith to your writing. It's very sharp, um, and there are some very memorable lines that feel, it feels worked and at the same time quite sort of loose. Fresh. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned Borghese, but you don't write yeah, yeah. sort of like... No, no. Like I, that. Um, what... I do. I do think of them as very like different parts of my mind, um, but they definitely pay into each other and an ease with words. And I think, I think one. I think, and I don't call myself a good copywriter because I really, I am kind of relatively new to it, and I've only been doing it for about a year, a year, just over a year, year and a half. Um, but I think what a good copywriter does is they are able to see a word or an idea and see all of the possible other words or phrases that could be related to that and from that you have a wealth that you can kind of create a path that's something memorable but I think that's the most important thing is you 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 have the word break and you think okay breakfast break a leg or like anything like that and you start spinning spinning associations Mm. and I think that is really fun it's like a kind of an ulipo Nice. So, are you do you, do you play those sorts of games just alone? <laughs> alone. <laughs> Give me a word, any e. word. Yeah. I'm going to write um, a novel without. I actually once did a translation of the first two paragraphs of La Distraction, but um, I then looked at it again a year later, and I had about threes, <laughs> so I hadn't done it well. Um, does it make a difference living in and speak living in France, speaking a lot of French, to writing? I know, you know, I mean, so you, yeah, I mean writers like Conrad, you know, who it's displaced. But. I, mean, I like to associate myself with Conrad all the time. I think we're very similar. No, um, no, I'm being totally silly. That was 
the jokes. Sorry. You've done it now. I've done it I've now. Done it. I've done oh, it now. No. She thinks she's a good girl. Um, do you, but is, is, is there something? Did, did, it make, did it make your relationship with write, writing fiction in English slightly? Um... I wouldn't say. I think. I think languages are wonderful things. But I, I definitely, even though I have a level of French, and I used to have a level of Spanish, and I could find that again. I study French in Spanish at university. Um, of I have a level where I am able to live and function in. A country, I really don't think. Apart from the fact that I occasionally say, I Frenchify words sometimes. I can't really think of a an example, but I'm I kind of say in English a French noun or something like that. Very, very, very infrequently, and it's probably just because my English vocabulary is not very good. But <clears throat> what I wanted to say was, yes, I think the most important thing to writing is not necessarily the language. It is the ability to live in different places because I think that shifting your surroundings does um, give your imagination a jolt in a positive way and it so, forces you to see things again. So writing about Sark from... Did you have to, re, you have to reimagine it being sort of outside and, and, and in a... Maybe, but I think the most important thing there was just that I had gone to Sark and it had it was not London or it was not something I'd seen before and it, I, it was a whole new place that I could... Everything was new and everything was to be, in a sense, written. Um, whereas I've been in Paris for three years now and some of the initial energy I had when I moved there, because it was new, because I wanted to do things, because I wanted to found things, and because I wanted to be someone, and I have a very 23-year-old way, um, I think now I've kind of settled into a normal, lovely life where I enjoy my surroundings, but I don't analyse them to the same extent. And that's why... I might. I would like to go to Amsterdam for a while next year. I'd like to. I think it really is important to so give your brain a shake, and maybe not. Maybe, but maybe that's not. I really don't think that's for everyone at all. I think some writers are fantastic at staying in one spot, and they can really imagine our whole world and other worlds. Mm. Maybe I'm just not that imaginative, but I do think change of place and new places are very important to me, at least. You mentioned it. Um, uh, a movable feast during the novel and if I, I read it earlier this year in Paris um, wandering around I was very disappointed when we went to we had a meal outside Hemingway's flat that he, he talks about the but it's a it's a vegetarian restaurant I feel like I betrayed him some. yeah no I used to live just there actually so there's Place de la Contrescarpe and there's a little road that's called Rue de Blainville mm. and I used to have a 12 metre squared no. flat there for a few months um, there's also a very racist old sign it's called Le Vieux Negre which is big on, on that square with a kind of Banania style image anyway um, what did you think of a movable feast? I, re- I loved it <coughs> and I think it's very I, apparently the end is there's a different end that's being published which is about his, the breakup of his marriage and it's slightly um, less blasé about oh you know this woman moved in and and nicked me off off my wife at this weird ski resort. But I thought it was fascinating. In, in what I hope he does actually use the phrase "this weird ski." This resort. weird ski resort. Um, but there was an interesting thing about what made me think of it. What you're just saying is the way that Hemingway would sort of move around, try and stay out of the way of other writers. And uh, you know, you wonder how much of it was a bit of a pose. But those writers moving to 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 Paris. Did he stay out of the way of other other writers? Well, he claims that he went. He would always go to those funny um, uh, uh, cafes, and there's that rather sort of awful bit where he bumps into Ford Maddox Ford and is terribly cross. Um, I haven't actually other... read it for a couple of years. So it's mm-hmm. not fresh, fresh in my mind. 
Um, I think it's really the scene where he and Fitzgerald compare their genitals. That that's, I mean, that's lingers. one. Of, I actually, the thing that lingers for me is the, is the, is the spirit and sense of sadness in the beginning and end. I think some of the stories in the middle, particularly, I mean, <coughs> the, the Fit, Scott Fitzgerald, uh, <clears throat> the Scott Fitzgerald encounter, which is you know, I don't know, quite quite ridiculous in some senses, <laughs> but that the kind of. Um, the book-ending moment, the well, the beginning and end of of that, I find very wonderful. He has this profoundly sad, dying fall in his in his um, in the music of his his phrases, and I find that wonderful. Did it, does it chime with this not a little bit about the writing about a time that's already passed and knowing that it's past? Um, definitely. Oh, definitely. 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 Hang on, I'm going to read something at you. Not from the end. Shh, out of context. There is, and I don't know why, a shame in wanting to go back. And there's, but there's, this, and there's a sort of, and there's a, a sadness and, a, and, and something else, I think. But I, I, I definitely think that um, that that tone was an influence. The other book, which I re- retrospectively found out was an influence, because I read it really after I'd written the first part. I read. Um, Shamefully, I read it when about I was 24. The first time I read Bonjour Tristesse, mm-hmm. and I mean I, I adored it, and it made me cry. But I did think as soon as I'd read that that she had done exactly what I had wanted to do. So I think if I'd read it, if I'd read it before I'd written, I mean it's bizarre because I was reading it again um, the other day, and like I saw so many parallels. Fortunately, I hadn't read it when I was writing, so that's fine. But. I would say I would say definitely there's a to- there's yeah I mean I, I yeah it's not my place and I never would compare myself either to Sagan or Hemingway of course but if I would there is there is a similar tone there whether or not I've achieved it as successfully as they do do you feel that sadness I mean is it, there there is a a sense that's a very uh, it's another about people kind of wanting to get out of a situation and then looking back and feeling sad about missing that situation. I do think that's, that is true, and I also think that it's about... Um, yeah, there's, a, there's an idea of kind of rose-tinted lenses, for lack, for want of a better phrase. Rose-tinted. Rose, rose-tinted lenses. I know, no-one's done that yet. I've had, um, I've had the future's Rosa, and I've also had, I also had, this is amazing, in the Northern Echo, the rise of Rosa, but it was next to a Viagra advert. No. So, I mean, that was really good. It doesn't get I had to take a whole pack, that. really, to have any effect. But, um, what was I going to say? I think it's, I think it is kind of, someone else commented this, but I agree with him, I think it is really obsessed with the passing of time. Um something that is, you know, a personal obsession of my own as well, so that does manifest. Does it worry you? I mean, is it... Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I've spent my whole life thinking, right, last Wednesday was a week ago. Does it feel like a week ago? You know, I mean, like, yes, definitely. I mean, I've, I've been worried about the speed of time passing since I was eight, I think. And eight, you're supposed eight. to... I know. Eight, you're supposed to be enjoying these long, balmy days. I was still kind of analysing time speed and trying to work out ways that I could freeze it or pause it or slow it down. Does writing do that a little bit? I think it does. At least... If, 
I do think diary writing is amazing, even though I don't do it. I should. But as I said, oh, I don't know. I think it does keep it... It keeps time... wholer and fleshier. Um, otherwise, it just kind of concertinas into, as we were saying, like an essence or an impression. But if you are writing... I mean, this, the difficulty is that particularly with fiction, you're not writing your life, so you're not really preserving your life. But there's, if you were to write your life down in diaries, you, you are keeping it more rigid and full than it would otherwise stay in your mind.